Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, and I'm inviting you to attend our Great Canon of St. Andrew of Crete starts at 7 o'clock at my parish if you are nearby. And tell your friends to come. You can come for just for part of it. As I mentioned, it goes on for about four hours. But it's designed where you can come for any part of it. Come for a half hour, an hour, two hours, three, maybe the whole thing. It's very, very grueling. It's refreshing. It's very, very renewing spiritually. Because it's the ascetical practice, we do the prostrations, but it's also a walk through the Bible. Now, just to give you an example, I'm going to read a few of the verses that we sing to a very hauntingly beautiful melody. It says, When the Ark of the Covenant was being carried on a chariot, and the oxen began to slip, Uzzah placed his hand upon the Holy Ark, and for this single gesture he incurred the wrath of God. Do not imitate his boldness, O my soul, but treat the holy things with respect. And then we respond, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me. That's when we do the prostration then. You know the story of Absalom and his rebellion against nature. And you know his abominations, even the filing of his father's bed. And yet you imitate, O my soul, his desires and his drives for pleasure. Have mercy on us, O God, have mercy on us. Imitating Rehoboam, who disregarded his father's advice, you have also followed the ancient apostasy of Jeroboam, that evil servant. Imitate them no more. But cry out to the Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Twice Elijah struck down 50 men of Ahaziah after having destroyed the prophets of Jezebel to confound Ahab. Do not imitate them, but cry out to the Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And there's many other names, such as, as we mentioned, Ahab. There's also the widow of Zarephath. There's all kinds of names from the Old Testament that we probably find maybe obscure. Maybe we've come across them if we've really read our Bibles. Even when you read it, you have to reread them because these aren't things you often hear that much about, even at church, the readings like these. And so what this service does is it ingeniously takes us through many of these obscure references. Because as I mentioned before, it's a journey to every reference of righteousness and sinfulness in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, goes into the New Testament as well. So some of these names may be a little strange, but 
it's a good review for us and a good way to get us back into the Bible. And what we do, as always, is we make the scriptures our own story. That's why you heard the type of language or how it's written, where it warns our soul. It actually accuses us of being the sinners in the Bible. And that is how we utilize or use or respond or pray the scriptures, how we read the scriptures in the church, especially during the season of Lent. This biblical experience becomes our experience. We are these people here. This event or that event, that person, that sin, that repentance, that conversion, that's us. And that's why we move through the scriptures in this way through the liturgy of the church, and in particular this week through this canon of St. Andrew of Crete. Well, there's another great feature this week, this wonderful fourth week of Lent in the Byzantine calendar, and that is what's called the Akathist, Akathist Saturday, the Akathist hymn to the Mother of God. We actually have one also to the Lord Jesus Christ, but this one is to the Mother of God. The Akathist has a very strong theme to it relative to the Annunciation. And the reason for this, it's an interesting story, is that centuries ago, in the early centuries of the church, especially in the East, the Annunciation and the Nativity, you know, Angel Gabriel coming to the Virgin Mary and telling her that she would bear the child who would be the Messiah, that Annunciation, that, that moment between the Angel Gabriel and the Blessed Virgin Mary, the young maiden, that moment and the actual birth of Christ were celebrated together. When you think about it, it makes sense, because it all has to do with the incarnational experience. Christ is incarnated. We sometimes refer to the Christmas event as the incarnation, but actually, as you know, especially with our pro-life consciousness, and this actually helps to support our pro-life activities, is that human life begins in the womb at the moment of conception. So our Lord actually was incarnate already in his mother's womb, before he was even born. So it makes liturgical, biological, spiritual, theological, biblical sense when in the church they celebrated the Holy Spirit entering into the Mother of God, impregnating her with the person of Jesus Christ, and were coming through the message of the angel to take that event and celebrate it together with the actual birth of Christ. But what happened later on, some centuries later, we don't know exactly, but certainly by about the 8th century, The Feast of the Annunciation was then celebrated separately, but it always falls during Lent. In fact, it's so important that sometimes it supersedes some of the significant moments of the Lenten season. And the reason for that is, as our Byzantine fathers would tell us, is that because if it wasn't for the beginning of everything, the Incarnation, if God did not come in the flesh and become human in the first place, he couldn't have taken on our human flesh to redeem it, to take it to the cross and to resurrect it and to bring it to his throne in heaven after his ascension. So the Annunciation event actually takes a priority over everything else during the Lenten season. And so what we've done in the Eastern churches over time is we separated out this akathis, this observance of the Annunciation, and yet at the same time, it still has a place in Lent. And so it has a place of prominence. And what we do during that service is, once again, is so often the case in the Eastern form of worship. It's this ingenious, highly poetic, very, very biblical, very metaphoric and allegorical walk through the significance of the Mother of God and of her Annunciation. 
and also the birth of Christ. Let me give you a couple examples. What we do, and again, this is generally done as part of a morning service, a matin service, and currently it's done on that Saturday of Lent, just before the Feast of St. Mary of Egypt, at the end of the fourth week of Lent. It's done in separate stanzas or odes, and it's broken up, and each one has its own poetic theological meaning. For example, if we go into this Akathist hymn, we hear things like this. Hail, O mother of the star without setting. Hail, O radiance of the mystical day. Hail, O you who quench the flame of error. Hail, O light of those who search the Trinity. Hail, O you who unthroned the enemy of men. Hail, O you who showed forth Christ the Lord, the lover of mankind. Hail, O you who cleansed us from the stain of pagan worship. Hail, O you who saved us from the mire of evil deeds. And then it goes on with the word hail, always beginning the stanza. And the response then is, Hail, O bride and maiden ever pure. A very beautiful little melody. Now, if you notice what's happening here, it's taking references, any imaginable reference that we can make to the Virgin Mary in an allegorical way, a metaphorical way, but also, of course, based in Scripture. It makes references to the unhewn mountain, to the burning bush, all those allegorical typologies that we love so much in the Eastern churches. It takes those references, but it adds lots and lots of beautiful poetry to that until we have this service known as the Akathist service. And that really means a standing service because people were supposed to stand during that as a sign of respect. During the liturgical worship in the Eastern churches, the sign of respect, even during things like the consecration at the liturgy, the sign of ultimate respect and attentiveness is standing. That's why sometimes you'll even hear the deacon will pronounce the command, wisdom, be attentive, or arise, arise, let us be attentive. So that standing is a sense of vigilance, of being open, of honor, of dignity. And that's why it's the preferred posture for prayer in the liturgies of the Eastern churches. Now, there are times we do kneel, and we certainly do prostrate, but we mostly stand. At times we sit, but mostly it is standing. And also, standing allows for other types of movements, like I mentioned, for prostrations, where we actually use our whole body down to the floor. You need some room for that. Also for processions. And the beautiful thing about the processions is that they weave through the people. Now, imagine a church where most people are standing. There's a lot of openness to it. And let's say it's a crowded church or fairly full. When you have processions with the priest and the servers with candles and icons and so on, it's rather dramatic how that procession will weave itself right past through the people. In fact, sometimes it's the custom, especially for little children, to want to touch the priest, to touch his vestments. So the practice of standing has multiple reasons for it. And It is applied to this service of the Akathist hymn to the Mother of God. So we have a very rich and full week from the ascetics to the hymn to the Mother of God. And I'm going to invite you, remind you, I'm sure you're already doing it, but I'd like to ask you to crank up, crank up your efforts during Lent through prayer, the fasting, the charity. Turn to the Mother of God as we do in this hymn. Fast and pray. Amplify your prayer with fasting. The reason why I'm asking you to turn it up, crank up the volume, even if you're getting a little tired already, crank it up because we need this. As I've mentioned before, our Lenten practice is very much like the Ninevite fast, where we're begging God to stay his hand from the punishment that we deserve. I'm not implying that God is ready to punish us. However, any reasonable person that looks at the world today knows that in many ways we are going against God, we are going astray. And many things 
many things can only be solved through divine intervention, certainly with human beings doing the best that they can. But there are many things in our world today that I believe do not have a human solution, or at least not a purely human solution. Nothing ever really has a purely human solution. We must turn to fasting, which amplifies our prayer, turn to the Mother of God, beseech her intercession, beg God's forgiveness, and become people of charity. Please join me in making this Lenten season a very serious time for the sake of the whole world. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by writing a check to Light of the East and mail it to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Glory to Jesus Christ. Hello, I'm Father Thomas Loyer of the Tabor Life Institute. I'm inviting you to an opportunity to be pierced by the sheer beauty of God's plan for your life, to awaken your desire, embrace your design, and reach your destiny. As Father Loya invites you to hear renowned speaker and author Christopher West, Saturday, April 25th at St. Mary Immaculate Parish in Plainfield, Illinois. Original sin for all of us, for every human being on the planet, has disoriented our desires. We often find ourselves hungry for things that don't satisfy the ache, don't satisfy the need. Join Christopher Saturday, April 25th from 6.30 till 9.30 p.m. at St. Mary Immaculate Parish, 15629 South Route 59, Plainfield, Illinois. Limited seating. Register online to coreseminar.evenbright.com. Core spelled C-O-R, bright spelled B-R-I-T-E. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality, and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life at earthlink.net. We join our Chaldean Catholics in prayer to the Mother of God for peace in the Middle East. Mother of God, Virgin Mary, be for us a safeguard from all illnesses and hardships. Through the great love you have for Christ, ask and beseech him to be merciful to us, to give healing to our ailments, to console the downtrodden, to unite those who are scattered, and to forgive us. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. So here we are at the midpoint of March, the Ides of March, and we have just crossed the midpoint of Lent. 
in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And that, of course, is following the Gregorian calendar, a so-called new calendar. And this week, well, like actually every week in the Lenten season, this week is packed with significant moments. Today we have a significant observance of a very significant person in our Lenten journey, and actually in all of spirituality, especially in the Eastern spirituality, that is St. John Climacus. His name is Climacus because it means a climber or ladder. He wrote a book, a guide to spirituality called The Ladder of Divine Ascent, where spirituality is a matter of stages that we go through, a number of stages, and each one is something like a rung of a ladder, and we continue to ascend that ladder. It's based on the metaphor of uh, Jacob's ladder. But in that ladder, St. John Climacus moves through many dimensions and nuances of the spiritual life, of how we die to self and rise to our greater self, and how we try to overcome the tyranny of the passions. Now, what's very important to understand, especially during Lent, but all times, and we learn this especially through these ascetical persons that we put before our eyes from time to time, and especially during this season of asceticism, the bright fast, Lent, the important thing to remember is that the ascetical disciplines, which means a dying to self, a pulling back, a saying no to self, a stripping away, an emptying, a getting away, a shaving away, of shaving off of our excesses, things that we don't really need that we become dependent upon. The reason for that is not because something is bad, but rather it's a way of actually coming to find the real value of something, of all things, of the very things that we pull back from, and to find then our true selves. See, asceticism is a journey into our true self. We have to go back all the way to the Garden of Eden to understand this. Think of Adam and Eve before the fall. They were completely integral beings. We might even say they were virginal, meaning that they were completely intact, completely one within themselves. They were at one with nature, at one with God, at one with one another, Adam and Eve, at one within themselves as individuals. And so we call that in the spiritual life virginal. And virginal is the state that we will all end up in the next life at the great wedding feast of the Lamb. We'll be that one virginal bride of the bridegroom Christ. So we have to expand our idea of this word virginal. Think of it not so much as, well, we never had any sexual relations. Rather, it has to do with an openness, openness, complete openness to God and being personally intact and integrated within ourselves, with our environment, and with one another. So that's what we mean by virginal. So asceticism is actually a way to return as much as we can to that virginal state, which was the original state. St. John Paul II would call this original man. In the Eastern Fathers, they would refer to this as the state before the garment of skin, before we got this garment of skin, meaning that we were much more spiritualized than we are now. We were much more intact, more at one with God, with creation, with one another, and within ourselves. And the ascetical disciplines is a way of getting rid of everything that keeps us from being integrated, being intact, being virginal. See, we were like that at the beginning, naturally. In the Eastern theology, we stress very much that the natural form of the human being, our true nature, what is actually natural to us, 
is in fact to be in the image and likeness of God. In other words, holiness, being intact, being integrated, being close and one with God and one with everything is actually our natural state. What we know now, and I'm going to use the term coarseness, the Eastern Fathers use that term, what we know now is a coarser type of life. That's what they meant by this garment of skin. In other words, the flesh as we know it and its imperfection, you know, let's face it, some of the physical order of creation has a certain, well, shall I say, grossness to it or imperfection to it. You know, things can smell, things can rot, things get wrinkly. There's all kinds of things that happen that are not so glorious and beautiful. We have to keep our bodies clean, otherwise they get dirty and they smell and they get old, and they get wounded, and they get banged up, and they get scarred, and they get crooked, and we get bent over. There's all kinds of things that are not very beautiful that happen to the physical order. Well, it was not this way at the beginning. We were much more perfect and much more spiritualized. And the fathers teach us, and St. John Paul II picked this idea up, what he calls eschatological man, is that we will return to that state, but even beyond it, will be even more glorious, more spiritualized. And that's because Jesus Christ, God himself, the second person of Trinity, took on our nature and brought it to a whole new level. We had a beautiful destiny, but he took that destiny and he magnified it. He made it even greater than his original attention. Isn't that amazing? What, what a testimony to the love of God that for all of our insolence, our disobedience, our sin, as we focus on during Lent, for all of that, which deserved punishment, In return, God would take us to new heights and forever. Can you imagine that? What other response could we have to such a God except, God, I thank you, I glorify you, and I beg your forgiveness. So the ascetical person, which are people like St. John Climacus, the monks of the desert, both male and female, They really are striving and teaching us, as Lent does, to return to our original nature, our true self. Now, we can't go back fully, but we can grab, in a sense, an echo of our former self, but looking towards that glorious self that is in store for us. But the way to combine the two, our original innocence or that echo of it, And to arrive, hopefully forever, at our ultimate glorious destiny, the way to link those two is precisely what Lent is about and what these great ascetical saints were about, which is why we look at them at this time during Lent. So St. John Chrysostom was, St. John Climacus was one of those. He had this sense of this ongoing, stage-by-stage growth in the spiritual life and growth in perfection. In other words, journey back to our true self to the fact that we're being in the image and likeness of God. What's interesting is that during the end of this week, actually the beginning of next week, next Sunday, we'll look at a female version of St. John Climacus, that's St. Mary of Egypt, once again a desert dweller, who went in the desert to practice this severe asceticism so as to become her truest self. And that's what we do during Lent. Now, in between the two Sundays in which we put before us a female and male ascetic in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, We have a marvelous service by another great saint, St. Andrew of Crete. Now, this canon of St. Andrew of Crete was something that was prayed already in the first week of Lent, only it was divided up in sections and spread out across the weekdays of Lent. 
And this usually happens at night, when the monastery is at the Compline service. This is a late-night service. But this week, on Thursday evening, and this will take place at my own church, Annunciation Parish in Homer Glen at 7 o'clock, if you're close enough to attend, we certainly welcome you to this magnificent service. It will all happen at once. What we did in stages in the first week of Lent, we will do all together as one continuous service on Thursday night. And normally this would be done at the matins, the morning service, but we have an evening to make it more available for people. Now this service will go on for about four hours. Now, don't don't get scared. I'll let you catch your breath there. <laughs> you don't have to stay for four hours. You can. You can stay for as long as you want because the, the way this service is designed is verse after verse in the Scriptures. It's a veritable journey through the Scriptures of every incident, every person that had to do with righteousness or sinfulness. It's an amazing, amazing study of the Bible. And during this, we do our famous prostration, where we go all the way to the ground, touch our head to the ground, so our whole body is an instrument of repentance. And we chant these verses from the Scripture as we walk through the biblical story. And that's very much what Lent is about. It's our biblical experience. And this service also has with it the very dramatic, wonderful, colorful story that we read in the midst of the service, we would take a break during the service, we read the story in two parts of St. Mary of Egypt. Well, let me tell you, Hollywood, I think, would give the right arm for the story. It is a very dramatic story. I often think of it becoming a great musical or an opera or something. It's very, very dramatic, but not in a superficial or, or contrived way, in a very human and genuine way. It's an extremely spiritual and human story where St. Mary of Egypt, who goes out into the desert, is discovered after many years by a priest named Zosimus and how her one desire is to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That is Zosimus' assignment to bring that to her. And the whole dialogue and relationship that occurs between the two of them is just a marvelous, marvelous, almost like a movie script. It's very, very high drama, very high-level literature. The story of St. Mary of Egypt, read during the canon of St. Andrew of Crete. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk more about this marvelous week here, this fourth week of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Willcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.